as far north as Marauder's Arch, as far south as Booty Isle, as far east as Ruby's Fall, and as far west as Mermaid's Hideaway, Pirate Talk Radio proudly presents the most in-your-face Sea of Thieves podcast on the waves, and now broadcasting from his mother's basement, the biggest idiot to ever pick up a cutlass, your host, Davram! Welcome back, everyone, to Pirate Talk Radio. Can I just, before we even get into anything, the trailer, the deep dive, season eight, I'm so hyped for. Like, this, I haven't even played it yet. By the time this comes out, many of you are already logged in, probably already through the battle pass because I'm, you know, slow at playing games. Probably well into this new system that we're going to be talking about, but I am so hyped. Um, I'm excited to to sail for the first time on this new update um, on, on Saturday, the 25th of November with Captain Logan. Super excited on our Saturday stream to, to, to sail, but I was excited, uh, but I was skeptical about this update. Um, and I, I still have some reservations, um, uh, with, with what we know so far. Um, I know many of you probably already know the answers to this, but, um, um, we'll, we'll find out and then next week we'll be able to talk uh, more in detail about my overall feedback so far, uh, of this season, but I, I am incredibly hyped. Um, th- this personally, I think is what the arena, uh, and what the Reapers faction should have been from the start. Um, but better late than never. And I think rare is developed. So we'll talk, um, we'll talk about the adventure, the end of the adventure. We got the reveal of that. Uh, and, uh, we will talk about the trailer, what we learned, the deep dive and my speculations, um, for the season eight, which launched early. Normally see of thieves launches on Thursday. Uh, that is Thanksgiving in the United States. It launched on a Tuesday. So there you go. We also have some news, uh, to cover, and apparently there's some sort of emergency somewhere in my neighborhood because you could probably hear the emergency vehicle. So there you go. Doing it, you know, live. If It's not really live. It's recorded, but yeah, you know. Um, but first, let's thank the wonderful, the amazing, the folks who make this possible through the dollars out of their pockets, the patrons. Thank you. Regis Stella, Lane, Scamelt666, Jack Bull, Blade X Life. Thank you very much for continuing your support of my content and specifically Pirate Talk Radio. If you would like to become a patron, if you would like to throw some cash monies at me um, to, to help me get guests, to help um, with the studio and things like that, you can go over to patreon.com slash TV and you can check out all the different tiers available and many of them come with special perks um, for you. So go check that out. And uh, again, for all those patrons uh, sticking with me every single month, I appreciate that very, very much. 
So let's first dive into uh, the reveal. This was a stream done on Twitch um, and on YouTube. Um, and then it was obviously put up on the Sea of Thieves YouTube channel. Uh, and we got to do a kind of a walk through history, if you will, of the adventures up and through um, nine, um, which was kind of nice because, again, the adventures are set up to be in a trilogy format, right? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And this is the third of the um, of the adventure groupings, right? This is the third trilogy of the groupings. So we have a trilogy of trilogies now. Um, so it was really nice that the uh, the first about 15 minutes of the stream, 15 minutes of the video, um, was them walking through time, seeing all the cinematic uh, trailers that they did for all of the different um, adventures so far with um, Mr. Voice of Sea of Thieves um, doing a little narration between each one and what I took from this, first off, it was well put together. It really got you caught up because, again, the very first adventure was quite some time ago. And though I remember doing it, um, it's it's hazy, right? We've done a lot of story uh, through these adventures for a very long time. Uh, and new players just now coming to the game. Yes, there are new players still coming to Sea of Thieves on a daily basis. Those characters and those players did not get a chance to take part in the first um, uh, the first adventure, the first couple of adventures. Uh, maybe any of the adventures until uh, um, Adventure 9. So this first 15 minutes of the video uh, was a very nice uh, intro um, to get us caught up as far as lore, as far as story. Where are we at? What is going on? And why is this decision so important um, to be made right now? Um, now, the one thing that I would like to see is that this type of of care and this type of feature is brought into the game. I know Mike has talked uh, at, at Sea of Thieves Fest. He talked with uh, Logan and myself about this. They want to be able to bring something into the game um, in order to allow new players or or existing players to go back in time and kind of take a walk through memory lane. Obviously, with the tall tales, with a pirate's life, you can go back and play those anytime you want. But these adventures, which are meant to be limited time, story-driven adventures, you, you lose them, right? You lose them. There's no log as far as the journals that you've read. There's no way for you to go back unless you go on YouTube or something. There's no way for you to go back and kind of walk through memory lane and, and relook at this, this epic story that is being um, told. Obviously, some of the adventures were not great. They were not taken well by the community. Um, the story was lacking, but others have been really, really good and very engaging, and the community has loved it very, very much. But when you see it all together, when you see the trilogy of trilogies flow through from Adventure 1 to Adventure 9, you can really see how this storytelling is, is, is unfolding, and you can really see the different bits and pieces come together, right? As you're playing these, we're not getting all the bits. We're not getting all the pieces. We're seeing a moment in time um, of the story. And without that context of what happens before and what happens after, sometimes you get a little lost. Sometimes it doesn't feel like the story is going in the appropriate direction. Sometimes it feels a little off. Sometimes you're just kind of confused at what's going on. But when you actually go back and, and see and take this walk through Sea of Thieves history, you can see how... We are flowing and you can see how it ties back 
to the very, very, very first uh, tall tale, the Shroud Breaker, and how it's flowed through Heart of Fire, how it flowed through Seabound Soul, how it flowed through A Pirate's Life with the Dark Brethren, how all these bits are interconnected um, and, and just this overarching epic story that the Rare team is told. And like I said, you miss out on that when you just take these little bits and moments of time and you can't go back and remember. You can't go back on that walk at this point in game. You have to go onto YouTube or something like that in order to see it. So I hope they continue to work I um on that. I hope they continue to figure out and brainstorm and, and come up with a way for players to not only be able to go back in time and and relive these these awesome trailers and these awesome things um, in game, but also an ability to go back and reread journals from um, from the original journals that were scattered throughout uh, the 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 seas for for the titles that you can get in the commendations to what you could read in a pirate's life to all the different journals that have been really interesting um, throughout all these adventures. I, I think it's really important for them to get that feature in the game. Um, that way people don't feel lost and people feel more included um, in this story that is unfolding that we're taking part in. Um, now golden sands is brought up first because before we know the 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 victor before we know the outcome of pendragon versus flameheart and i find it very interesting <coughs> excuse me when they were did the adventure <clears throat> it was written right <clears throat> written <clears throat> it was in the in, in the books it was it was in everything that Flameheart's return is inevitable. It didn't matter what the outcome of this particular adventure was. Flameheart was coming back. It was a matter of time and a matter of how, but we had gotten past the point that we were stopping Flameheart's return. He was coming back. So as I talked about in the last um, uh, podcast, that was a little disappointing. It didn't feel like a such an impactful decision because it really came down to, is he coming back? Sooner rather than later, right? That's what it came down to. Now, during the reveal, that narrative kind of changed, both with the narration of McMercury and then when we started to talk with Mike, with Joe, uh, with Andy, we started to, to hear that verbiage change to, is Pendragon going to be banished forever? Or is Flameheart going to be banished forever? So I don't know if that was kind of just off-the-cuff talking or if there was a legit mistake when they were starting to build this adventure in the, the journals and stuff. If they hadn't their idea going one way and they pivoted at some point and not everything got put together. But there was a, definitely a change in the um, the the... I guess presentation that rare was providing from what we got in game um, to what we in the trailer to what we got uh, in this reveal. And it made it feel more like, Ooh, maybe we did make a pivot. Maybe we did want this decision point to be banish or banish, not return sooner or banish. Um, I, I don't know, but I got this feeling that there was at some point a pivot um, in that. So, they didn't really ever talk about, well, 
will Flameheart come back in the future if Pendragon wins? No, it became banished or banished, which I think would have been a more interesting um, choice to make. And and I, I can't say that it would change the outcome. I don't know that. Um, but I know a lot of people feel that both characters are, are you know, they're critical to Sea of Thieves. Um, but I think a lot of players also understand it's time to move on from these characters. Um, and both characters moving on from both characters, giving them a rest for a while, um, and, and maybe kind of cooking them up in the future again. But it was it. So, so for me, my decision point was simple. They're both stale characters. How the in game read was Flameheart's coming back regardless. Okay. Flameheart's coming back regardless. So I can make the choice to delay that and keep the stale character of Pendragon who has epic moments or I can fight to bring Flameheart back sooner. So hopefully we can then banish him sooner and we can get rid of both stale characters. Now that's not to say I don't want to see Pendragon ever return. That is not true at all. I think he just needs to be like a, like a, a wine. He needs to be put on the shelf for a little bit of time let us kind of move on past him for a little bit and then bring him back for another epic moment and reintroduction of Pendragon. He is critical in the Sea of Thieves history and the Sea of Thieves lore. He can't just go away. Um, but I, I really feel that it was time that we could move on from him, develop and work on a new character, Bell, or, and, and, and maybe a new uh, character uh, next to him, uh, maybe uh, Eli Slate, or another character, someone uh, that's going to assist Bell, that's going to assist the Pirate Lord, um, that we really haven't seen a whole lot of, right? And just kind of let Pendragon marinate a little bit, let him marinate on the shelf, let him let him breathe a little bit with the with the corkin, you know, and then bring him back and and have a have a really awesome thing. And on the other side, Flameheart, we knew he was going to come back per the game, and let's get him back sooner, and let's get him gone sooner. Right. That's that's kind of my opinion. So they open this by, again, taking that 15 minute and talking about how this is going to be playing into where we are with the game as we approach and then go into season eight. And the first thing that was discussed was Golden Sands. Um and we're finally now, and we've already started to see it, but we're going to start to realize the impacts that the Lost Sands adventure, which again, I don't think was a very good adventure. It was supposed to be a war. It didn't feel like a war. It just felt like Merchant Alliance missions, right? But there was a community decision, even though we didn't get good transparent data on that still bitter about that. And we didn't get good transparent data on this one. Really bitter about that. And I'll get to that in a second, but we're now going to see what this decision point means for the new golden sands. And that is the new golden sands will become the very first pirate port. <coughs> now, you get to see in this video, and if you haven't watched, if you didn't watch the stream, go back and watch it, it, it these bits and pieces that I'm going to be talking about on YouTube, on the Sea of Thieves YouTube channel. The work in progress video flyover 
of Golden Sands is absolutely incredible. There are structures. There's an entire brick building for the Pirate Emporium. There are cobblestone roads. This is really starting to look like a port city, right? And Mike mentioned that he's had the question posed to him. I know I asked him at Sea of Thieves Fest. I know Logan has asked him multiple times on the Keelhaul podcast. When are we going? Are we in the golden age of piracy? And Mike's answer is no. We have not reached the golden age of piracy. And the golden age of piracy, for those uh, who might not know, is a period of time in our history, our Earth history, of about 1650s to about the 1730s. That was the period of time known as the golden age of piracy, specifically, specifically in the, no, it wasn't in the Pacific. We're talking about areas of um, around the African continent um, slightly. We're talking about the Indian Ocean area and, and China Sea. And we're talking about mainly, because we all know the Pirates of the Caribbean movie, we're talking about the Bahama Islands and the piracy that took place in the New World up and down the coast of the of what is now the United States and down into the, um, the Bahamas, Cuba, that kind of area um, in, the, in the little gulfs and seas around uh, below Florida and things like that. That's what we're talking about. 1650s to about 1730s, uh, give or take. And there is a very critical and famous area. You can still visit it today. Um, I have, um, in the Caribbean and that is Nassau. Um, and why is that important? And why are we talking about Nassau? I'm going to do an episode in the future, do a little pirate history episode on Nassau and go into more depth. But why is that important to talk about when we're talking about Golden Sands? Because Nassau is famous in history of being the pirate, the centerpiece, the the stronghold of the pirate republic in the Caribbean. And it was a port town. It was a pirate port. Um, Obviously, we have in in the movies like uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, things like Tortuga, um, right? But Nassau... That was that that was that town that was just known for piracy. The pirates made port there. They there was a city there. Um, but the other piece to all this is there was also the evidence of the crown. England, France, and Spain were all in this area. Not Nassau itself. Nassau would have been English, but Cuba, Spanish. Um, and you've got um, um, the French in this area as well, not as big, but um, as far as piracy and things like that. But they were in the area. And why this is important was there were royal governors that were in charge, and I put that in air quotes, of Nassau town, but more so the island, the greater island of Nassau. And there were plantations there. There was a lot of commerce, but the critical thing was Nassau town for a very long period of time was controlled by pirates and a governing governing pirate body. And though there was a royal governor of New Providence Island, Nassau, it really didn't answer to the crown at all because piracy and pirates. So having a pirate port in Golden Sands starting to look like the movies and starting to look 
like what we believe Nassau could have looked like. I would have liked to see a little bit more, little less building like stuff, a little more like piratey camps and stuff, but maybe we'll see that, right? It was still a work in progress. There's still time before it's going to be fully built, but there were definitely buildings. It was a city. It was, it was a town. So I'm really excited to see where that goes. And I'm really excited because it doesn't tell us that we are in the golden age of piracy, but it tells us we're moving towards the golden age of piracy. And we know Mike and we know a lot of the team members over there are, are historians. They love history uh, and they love pirate history. And why I brought up the fact that there was a royal governor of this area is simple. There are several organizations and characters that we keep hearing on the waves and on the wind that we haven't seen yet. The Grand Maritime Union also known in our real world as the East India Trading Company. The East Indies is the new world. Right? That that's the that's the East Indies is the new world. Um because they thought that they were sailing that way and they were actually in, you know, at the time, they believed they were in India and 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 China when they first got over there, right? You got the West Indies, got the East Indies. Anyways, East India Trading Company um, is the Grand Maritime Union of 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 C- is is the Grand Maritime Union equivalent of our real in our real world. We have the sovereigns already, which I speculate are part of the Grand Maritime Union or part of some sort of royalty that uh, could be, um, you know, royal governor type ship. Um, of these areas because the royal governors of Nassau of of this place not all of them were you know powdered wigged and and nice people right that they were sent there a lot of times because they had a history of of military action they had seen military combat they had dealt with pirates before they were accomplished seamen um and they were sent there because they the the crown thought they would be able to or they boasted themselves as they would be able to talk take care of the pirate menace um in in the in the islands so it kind of matches up is that where we're going i don't know but i'm excited to see the evolution of golden sands into a port city that more looks like nassau so we can move closer to the golden age and kind of maybe see the grand maritime union so we can we can begin to see the captain. Who's the captain? Who knows? Is it Captain Hook? I hope not. But it could be. Don't think so. <coughs> Is it Blackbeard? Is it Edward Teach? He took a little bit of part in the uh, in Nassau, but he kind of made his fame after he left Nassau. Could it be Woods Rogers, a version of Woods Rogers, who was a notorious royal governor of of New Providence Island um, and a pirate hunter, a skilled pirate hunter? Who knows? Um, But there's a lot of whispers and speculations and who are these people? And seeing Golden Sands evolve into a port city, a colony, if you will, really drives us to maybe starting to get to a point where we're going to see the Grand Maritime Union 
How are they going to impact our world? We might start to get more information about the captain. Who is he? Who does he report to? Who's sending him? Why is he coming? Is he a royal governor? Don't know. Don't know. We've heard Duke talk many times recently, and he doesn't seem like a drunken bilge rat if you listen to him talk. He sounds kind of more upper class. He sounds a little bit more pompous. He sounds a little bit more like he came from somewhere that had some money. And he's part of the Dark Brethren who's trying to get the captain here. So there's a lot of interesting things to think about as we see Golden Sands evolve into this pirate port. But it looked absolutely, absolutely amazing. And as we get closer to the reveal of who won, who, who won, who won between Pendragon and Flameheart, Mike makes it very clear that if Pendragon loses and is banished, Bell will need a new right-hand man in her quest to keep the Sea of Thieves on the side of the Pirate Lord. But who is that? There's a lot of choices out there. Maybe it's a character we haven't even seen yet. I know Behaving Beardly on the uh, stream suggested Eli Slate, which I think is a fantastic idea. Um, so I also wanted to, to mention, and this was an observation that I wrote down. <clears throat> right before they gave us the reveal, and we're going to, I'm going to tell you that in a minute, though probably everyone listening already knows who won. I loved the animation of changing between on the, there was a picture and they animated it and it went Flameheart, Pendragon, Flameheart, Pendragon, Flameheart, Pendragon. Did anyone else notice that the overlay, when they switched from Flameheart, the skeletal, dark, red, glowing eyes, beard, when they switched him to Pendragon, the overall facial structure didn't change a whole lot. I thought that was interesting. I'm probably diving too deep into it. It was probably done that way because it looked nice on the animation. But I found it very interesting that as they flipped back and forth, aside from going to a human-looking face with a mustache and a pipe, to a skeletal face with a hat and a beard, they almost looked identical in the Switch. I'm just saying that's really interesting. I don't know if anyone else caught that or if you were just so hyped to figure out who won. I found it very, very interesting that their their facial structure in that particular animation was so incredibly close. Now, the big reveal. Flameheart won. Flameheart will be reborn. He will take physical form, and we will see him finally in skeletal lord form in the Sea of Thieves. What I found really interesting as they went around the rare team, if you go back and you look at the Golden Sands battle, it was very clear you had Joe and you had Mike and you had different members of the team on each side. They were very passionate about their side. This time, in their interview, the Penny D side was not as adamant about their side. And I think that 
I think that was a real vision of how the community was as well. Um, and it, I, and it wasn't, it didn't feel heartbreaking, right? I, we were promised a heart wrenching decision point and it really didn't feel that heart wrenching. Even when it came to the interviewing of, of the rare staff who were very passionate about their sides on the golden sands, um, outcome, they weren't as passionate about this. In fact, Mike himself, though he was Team Penny D, he claims, he was like, I'm just interested to see who wins. I'm interested to see where the story goes, depending on the outcome. Before, he was all about saving Golden Sands. Joe was all about destroying Golden Sands. Joe was on Team Flameheart this whole time, but Mike was like, I'm I'm Team Penny D, but, you know, if Flameheart wins, that's cool too. And I feel like that's really, really the deciding factor in this entire adventure. I think there were a lot of people who were team Penny D, but were like, we're not that passionate about Penny D. We're not that like if Flameheart comes back, cool. If Penny D saved, cool. Like there wasn't that outpour outcry of passion per side. There were some, but in general, it was kind of lackluster. And I don't think that was what they wanted to get out of that. And that's why I feel like at one point, maybe this adventure wasn't designed to be a choice or at one point this adventure was designed differently and they pivoted for some reason and it just didn't get that uh, uh, backing right where people were, I am this side, I am this side. That's why I said, I think it would have been better if you're, it's not just one character versus another, but you start to group some characters, both beloved and hated together. And if that side win, they're gone. And if the other side, they're gone. I think that would have made it more interesting. So I don't know. I just I just feel like this adventure fell flat on that community choice, really making it feel like if my side, I'm going to be crushed if Penny D loses. I'm going to be crushed if Flameheart loses. Like it didn't have that passion. Golden Sands, in my mind, was a worse designed adventure and a worse executed adventure than than this one. But it had a lot more fire and passion behind it with the community and a more poorly designed um, choice than this one did. And this one was supposed to really tug at your heartstrings, and it really didn't. And I don't know if that's because we've already went through one community cha- uh, one community choice. I don't know. But I think there could I think there were some changes that were made in the story. I think there was some flipping and flopping on the rare side in developing this. And in flipping and flopping, they kind of lost that driving force that was supposed to really feel like a really hard choice for us to make. This is the part that really irked me about this stream. I have been called out on stream. I have been called out by Logan. I have been called out on Twitter that I expect too much when I call for transparency at rare, when I call for, I want to know that my choice matters. I want to know when I turn something in, I want to be able to see live numbers ticking up and ticking down to see the tug and pull of these different things. We've seen them do it before. It doesn't necessarily have to be all revealing. So if one side's dominating the other, you know, It doesn't have to be down to the numeric value. You know, it can be percentages or whatever, but 
something that's updated real time that you can see the ebb and flow of these different types of events. And I'm always told, well, that's data is not there. That data doesn't exist. That rare does not have that type of data. And now I can firmly say I was right. They do have that data because it was revealed by McFarlane that they had a large screen that provided real time data points and updated doll turn-ins and flag raises and all this stuff. He said it was on a dashboard because he said whenever he walked by the dashboard, he was always interested in seeing the numbers change and see who's winning. They had a live real-time dashboard showing them who's winning and who's losing up in the rare headquarters for everyone to see. Why can't we see it? I don't need the details of every doll turned in. That would be kind of cool to see. <coughs> I don't need the details of flag rays and all that. I, I don't need it nitty gritty, right? Because I, I want to be kind of surprised on these reveal shows. But it would be nice to see a percentage or a, a ebb and flow. Something for like all but the last day, right? Turn it off on the last day so the reveal show is still, woo, you know? Turn it off for the last day. You've proven you can turn modules on and off. Turn this on and off, right? Make it cool. You could even do it on your website. You don't even have to put it in game. It would be nice to have it in game, but you could just have it on your website. But now, I and I don't know if that was a slip of the tongue and he's not supposed to say that, but it's out there now. He said that there was a live dashboard of the points on both sides and the breakdown and they could see in real time who is winning. That's interesting. And that would be cool to put up there because then instead of giving, getting a, a update a few days in and then a week in, and then at the end, look, if I'm on a battlefield, if I'm fighting on a battlefield, I damn well know more information than that, or I'm losing the battle if I don't have information and I'm not going to take action with my troops, with my forces. If I don't have information, I'm not going to take action. So why would someone on the Penny D side or on the Flameheart side take any more action if they don't know where they stand, right? If you're real close, put in that extra time. If you're, blowing the competition out of the water, take a break. But then the other side's going to see that. And if they're passionate about it and competitive about it, which many would be, if they saw it, they would push. And then you would have this back and forth. But now no one out there can say that rare does not have that data because it was clearly stated <coughs> and then shown all those individual ridiculous stats that don't matter, but were cool to see <clears throat> the breakdown, but they had a dashboard. Let us see the dashboard, turn the dashboard off in the last 24 hours of the event. So it's still a surprise. You can still have your reveal stream, but let us actually see what's going on. Let us actually see who's winning. Do you realize how many people in, in the golden sands one believe that it was rigged and that rare already had a decision made and they were updating that thing daily. 
<clears throat> there were way more comments now on this one about it being rigged, about Rare um, has already made their decision and planned ahead, and that, that you know, this doesn't is not actual co uh, community choice. It was all over the place. It was all over the place. Put it to bed. If you have a dashboard in your office, put something in-game so players can really feel that it is truly a community choice and not just, all right, we're going to tell you it's a community choice, <clears throat> but really, we already know the direction we're going. And yes, it's a minor voice, but it's a loud voice out there. It's a loud voice. And like I said, get that engagement. Get people like passionate about their side because then they can see if they're winning or losing. So Flameheart's coming back. I think a lot of people believe that he will come back we will get one fight with him and he'll be done. I don't think that's the case at all. I believe that Flameheart's coming back and I believe that he's going to be back for a little while. I believe there's going to be story behind him coming back and the resurrection. I think that'll be cool. Probably be an adventure, to be honest. I think once he's back, I think they're going to do a little bit more war stuff between him and the Pirate Lord. I think there's going to be opportunities where we um, fight, you know, his agents. Um, I, I do believe that Flameheart's going to be back for a little while before we get that final and hopefully epic fight to finish him off for good. I truly believe that. Um, I don't think that Rare would have spent this many years and this many tall tales and this many adventures to set up his return just for him to come back for one fight. I don't believe they would do that. I think it's going to be a build. It's going to be a slow build. And we will eventually get to fight Flameheart in his physical form. And I hope they design some new mechanics around it and make it a truly epic fight and not cop out like the Herald of Flame fight, which was just an Ashen Lord. All right. Season 8. I was hyped about Season 8. It was a long-awaited uh, update, the PvP season. And now with the deep dive and the trailer, we have a lot more information about this. A lot more information. So I'm going to try to break it down in the least chaotic way possible um, based on my notes. Um, and, and talk about some of the DMs that I have received from folks asking me about things, telling me about things because they knew I would want to talk about it. So let's start let's start off and and go from just simple to more complex. So to start off, this is simple. The season 8 is simple. Um again, it's not, but let's start off simple. Two new factions introduced. <clears throat> the Guardians of Athena and the Servants of Flame. Now, you may be saying, "Well, eh, those already exist." Well, they don't. You've got Reaper's Bones and you have Athena's Fortune. Those are the factions. There are two new factions that you will be you'll have on your pirate to level up. The difference between these factions and the other factions are simple. The only way to level these up is PVP. Both of them. The only way to level them up is PVP. <clears throat> and you get some really cool cosmetics. 
the other thing that we learned was instead of stopping at 75 or 30, these go up potentially forever. An infinitely scaling system. Maybe. We know for a fact that these will go up to at least a thousand for right now. And that's levels. I don't know if it gets harder as you go up. I don't know how hard these are. If you win a battle, do you get like 10 levels? I don't know. I I haven't played it yet. But as you level up, you get prizes or you get cosmetics. You also get milestones for your captain's ship. Finally, there's PVP milestones in there. For the record, I don't know if I I remember saying this, but at the end of last season, I ended. All my ships are still dry docked. They have zero milestones on them. And I'm keeping it that way, as I've said, until they make it so I can file my logbook and it doesn't drop into the water. I know I talked to Logan and uh, Logan the other day, and he said, you know, it's it, the books are pretty much pointless. Like, people are just letting them sink now. And I'm like, I don't care. I have made a point. I think this was implemented wrong. I think it was implemented silly. And I'm going to continue to not sail on a captain ship, my captain ship. Until they make it so I can put my book away, like I can put my flag away when I log out. <clears throat> so what do you get out of this? Let's let's start with the rewards, because some of these rewards people have been wanting for some time. The season one legendary curse is back. So that's the the glowing eyes with the Athena fortune t- um, glowing tattoo on your chest. That is back, which they said they would bring it back at some point. It is now back. You must get your, um, what is it, Guardian of Athena up to rank 105. So you have to do the PvP Athena up to 105, and you can get the Legendary Curse um, again if you missed it in Season 1. At level 100, um, you will get a new curse which will turn your pirate to look like a ghost from the pirate legend hideout you have to be a pirate legend uh and pvp rank 100 um in the guardian of athena to get that you will also unlock a new area of the pirate legend hideout and we're going to talk about what that entails in a little bit because there is a flip side to this um and so we'll talk about cuz they're both identical at the end of the day. Um, But we'll talk about that in a second. Then at rank 1000, you get a gold ghost, um, a ghost uh, uh, curse. Um, So that's what you get hundred. And there's other cosmetics on the way up. But as far as once you, you know, the curses or the, the cool looks that are shown in the video, um, a hundred gets you the full ghost. 105 gets you the, um, uh, legendary curse from season one, uh, which some of you already have it, wear it. It'll make it look like you're really awesome. Just saying. And then 1000, you get the gold curse. I'm sure that there is probably going to be people out there. I don't know how you get into the, um, the new PVP legend, cool people club. Um, that's in a door uh, part of the, the video. It's in a door near the pirate Lord's, uh, uh, seat in his, in his tavern. Um, but that means it's actually most likely in the pirate legend hideout. So 
I'm sure there's going to be people trying to break through walls and jump and all this stuff. End of the day, even if you can get in there, you can't get the cosmetics until you get the rank anyways because it's all locked behind rank. But I'm sure there's going to be videos and there's going to be stuff out there, people showing you how to get in there. Whatever. Don't be stupid because if you're going to be stupid and do that, most likely there's probably going to be some sort of repercussion, banning, suspension, something like that. Just don't be an idiot. Don't be an idiot. People always like to try to glitch through things and then they get their account banned and then they're pissed about it. Um, flip side, servants of flame, the reapers, the reapers has finally happened. The, what appears to be a door in the center of the tent at reapers hideout. We now know what it is and we now know what it goes to. That is an elevator. And once you get to rank 100 of, of, um, of that, you can then access the Reaper's Lair. Um, and in the Reaper's Lair, you will meet a new set of characters down there, a whole bunch of skeletons and things like that. And you will also get cosmetics based on your PvP rank for the Reaper's. At 100, you can become a skeleton. An actual skeleton curse. Not a costume, an actual skeleton curse. And though your pirate cosmetics, though working for the Athena ghost, do not work for the skeleton, you will now have the opportunity to customize, like you customized your pirate um, with that cosmetics, you'll be able to customize things like your arms, your legs, your head, and your torso with a whole new variety of skeleton cosmetics, which opens a whole new door of monetiza monetization uh, for Sea of Thieves through the Emporium. It opens a whole new door of Twitch drops for them, and it opens a whole new door of things in the, um, the season pass, which is excellent, giving more value to that. Um, which we'll talk about that in a second, because finally, I think um, I've bitched about it enough that they've made a change to the season pass, which we'll discuss in, in a moment. Um, and then once you hit a thousand with the Servants of Flame, um, you then have the ability to gild your skeleton. And if you don't know what gilding means, it means you will be a golden skeleton. Um, so all your bones will be gold at rank 1000 with the Reapers. Now, these two layers are very identical as far as what you can access inside of them. Their overall aesthetic is very different. Um, they, I think they did a great job um, in the reveal of the Reaper's Lair. I think it looks great. They gave it its own inn, um, which was really cool looking and very like hall-like, uh, hall like a big grand hall. Um, and there's a big tree that has like molten gold flowing through it with a ritual circle where you become a skeleton. Um, and then there's also, um, a, a, a scribe or a chronologer in there. Um, and they are, their job is to give you stats. How many, you know, what's the longest streak winning streak in the PVP, um, thing, you know, Who's winning, you know, give you stats and kind of make you feel like you're a little bit bigger than you are as far as this big battle going on between the Pirate Lord um, and Flameheart. So cool new things to check out. Um, now you're going to ask Davram, how do I get to rank 100, 105, 1000? How do I get all this new cool shit? How do I get down into the bowels of the Reaper's hideout? Well, I'm going to tell you. 
PVP, and I love it. It's the only way to do it, and that is brilliant. Because finally, us PVP players have been heard. Finally, us PVP players are getting some love. And the PVE players out there who are complaining, yes, there are many out there who are complaining that all of Season 8 and all this new stuff is based around PVP and they don't like PVP. Guess what? Don't queue up for this system. And you can do all the PVE you want in peace because all of us are going to be queuing up. Sure, people can still come and attack you, absolutely. But I can tell you this, for at least the foreseeable future, everyone's going to be queuing up into this PVP system and you're going to be able to do all your PVE Lord actions out there, digging up your chest, killing your skeletons, doing your Fort of Fortunes, (coughs) doing your Athena events, Because we're all going to be fighting it out in the circle of death. So there you go. You won. You wanted PVE servers? Here you go. You got PVE servers, kind of. We're all going to be queuing and fighting in our little circle somewhere. And you can just go about your PVE business. There you go. Ladies and gentlemen, Rare has introduced PVE servers. It's called leave the PVPers to their circle and you go dig your chest. PVE servers. There you go. Is everyone happy now? Did we did we get did we get there? I think we got there. Kind of. People aren't going to be happy. But we got there. Okay? We got there. We got there as close as we're going to get. <clears throat> so there is a new um item inside your boat. Uh it is an hourglass. The hourglass of fate and the war map. When you um, stick your dagger in your (coughs) Athena or Reaper table, you can then also choose to get an Hourglass of Fate. If you do this, you now enter a queue for PvP matchmaking. And there are two sides to the PvP queue. There are the defenders and there are the hunters. And the hunters are nothing without the prey. So, yes, it is important that if you're hunting and you're not getting cued, turn off that you're not a hunter anymore and become a defender because the hunters can't hunt without the prey. And even as a defender, whether it be Reapers or Guardians of Athena's, even as the defender, you still level up your PvP rank. You still get all that glorious credit, that yum yum levels to get your curses and everything else. So it's really just a matter of check to see which queue times feel better and do that. I have a feeling because of the animation and the coolness of it, I have a feeling that for the first few weeks or even months, most people are going to be on the side of the hunters. They're going to be on the side of the ability to dive your ship down like a skeletal ship, sail under the water, and then emerge right behind another ship and then enter battle. Most people, I would say, for the first couple months are going to do that, regardless if they're supporting the Athena side or the Reaper side. But if you just want some good PvP and you want to rank up, maybe flip it over and do the defending for a while and be the one that is being hunted. And fight back, win, and get your ranks up, right? 
And there's a lot of nuances to this new system. It's not just level up your PvP rank, right? It has to do with, there's a lot of things. <coughs> and I'm hoping that there's not a whole lot of bugs and glitches and exploits. There's going to be issues, okay? I'm not going to sit here and tell you this is going to be perfect. It is a massive change to how the game works. There's a lot of new systems that they have introduced. Anytime they do that, there's going to be issues. Be patient. This is something that a lot of us have wanted for a long time, both on the PvE and especially on the PvP side. There are going to be issues. Be patient with it. They're going to probably have to do a lot of hot fixes. They're probably going to be doing a lot of patching, especially with the, the matchmaking system, making sure it's more skill-based because it's supposed to be skill-based. I have a feeling that's going to be iffy for a while. But just be patient. Keep trying, right? If you're getting sunk a lot, you're still getting some XP, right? You're still getting some practice. Just keep trying. When the skill-based match system matchmaking is really working and tuned up, if you're not good at PvP, just take a couple losses. Get sunk a few times, and what's going to happen is you're going to then start to get match made with people more your level or lower level than you, and you can get some wins that way, right? So as a defender, <clears throat> you can go about your day digging up chests, doing Athena missions, um, and getting Athena loot on board. And what that's going to do is um, um, basically level up your hourglass as far as <clears throat> how much you're worth, right? How much is your ship worth? And what that means is if you beat an attacker you're going to get more points because you defended a loot hall. And if they sink you, they're going to get more points because they took a prize that was worth a lot. This is very piratey, right? This is very, very much caked into the idea of prize hunting, which is what it was called back in the day, back in the 19 or back in the 1600s, 1700s. That's what it's called. You would go after a prize. And the more lucrative a prize was, you wanted to obviously take that and the more money you would get out of it, right? So it's very much a system that Sea of Thieves has taken from history and implemented it in a way that it works for Sea of Thieves. And I think it's brilliant. I think it's absolutely brilliant. So both sides could be defenders. Both sides could be attackers. But again, you load, you you as a defender, you're getting your loot grade up. So then you get more and more... Um, um, points and XP for winning <clears throat> every battle you win, you get a tick mark. You go on a streak as you're on a streak, you get more points and XP and stuff like that for your side. And if you lose, you go back to zero. <clears throat> so in my mind, you treat the streak system the same way you treat your flag, right? So I have a rule, and I know several people I play with hate my rule because it gets it makes them anxious. My rule is we do voyages until we get grade five, and then we turn in. We don't turn in until we're grade five. I know a lot of people get just anxious about that because it's a lot of loot on board. You know what? You get the most value of it. Take the biggest risk. Get your biggest value. So in my mind, I'm thinking big brain here without even playing. My mind is you get your, your hunter grade or your PVP grade up to the highest it goes, which I believe is four. Once you get there, you go sell your hourglass 
And by that point, you should be max rank Reaper or max rank Athena. You do your hourglass. You get all the bonus and the num-nums off that. Then you lower your flag, re-raise the flag, re-raise the hourglass, and go back out. I'm just basing this off of the history of the best way to maximize both profit and experience points with the emissary system. I'm going to guess rare is going to use a very similar system um, with this. I don't know that for sure, but I would say unless you're someone out there that the sweat, the sweat is literally dripping down your balls that you're not going to want to go for a 7, 10, 20, 100 game streak. Unless you're one of those folks that just want to see if you can do it. That's one thing. But if you're trying to maximize your XP and maximize your your coin, I would definitely test out getting the max rank on both your emissary flag and your hourglass, cashing in lower, lower. I would guess hourglass first, then flag, so you get that emissary bonus of all the XP and all that yum-yum, and then re-raise, re-raise, go back out. That's how I envision the best efficient way of doing this. I'm sure after this weekend when I get to play this for many, many hours, I will be able to talk more in depth next week about what I found out. But my guess is, knowing Sea of Thieves and how they usually code and 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 they've got a system, if it ain't broke, don't fix it they're probably going to use a similar system um, with this. So <clears throat> queue times is another thing that I have. Uh, I obviously have questions and concerns about the stability of this system, any exploits or glitches in the system. I also have concerns about queue times, especially when people probably want to dive and emerge. You know, I'm okay with defending. I'm going to do whatever. I'm going to switch to whichever side I can queue the fastest in. That's what I'm going to do. Okay. The other concern that I have, and I've seen it on Twitter a little bit before, but I've been trying to stay away from as many spoilers as possible because that's what I like to do. Y'all know, like, that's what I like to do. But I have seen some some tweets, and I did respond to one because I was tired of seeing it, and I just picked this poor soul to respond to. Actually, I don't think I, I think I tweeted out about it. There is a circle that you fight in. And if you go outside the circle, finally the Red Sea, it's not the Red Sea, but it's the battle arena. Finally, it's what the Red Sea should be, which is you're out there for a moment. Your hourglass starts to shake. You're out there for very much longer. It breaks. It blows up. It's an instant sink. It's exactly what the Red Sea should be. Right? You shouldn't be able to run people out into the Red Sea and repair and blah, 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 blah. You know, it should be pretty instantaneous. Let's move on with our lives. So when I saw this, the first thing that popped into my mind, and 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 Twitter seems to be um, agreeing um, with this, people like to run. People like to run and waste your time because their hope is that you'll concede. And I knew this was going to happen. Because there are players that are not PvP focused. They don't want to PvP, but they want to get points and they want to get the new stuff. And there's always going to be runners. And and runners who don't want to PvP have never worried about wasting their time or someone else's. They're just going to run and hopefully you concede and they can go on with their day. Same thing's going to happen here. Where they're going to run and run and, and, and skirt the circle for as long as they can until you you concede or the battle goes on for hours and hours and hours. <clears throat> In my mind, 
The biggest mistake that I saw, and again, I haven't got to play it, so I don't know if this exists, but based on what I saw on Twitter, it doesn't. I think the biggest mistake that Rare has made in this is not reducing the circle for as for the longer the battle goes on. So if the battle lasts 20 minutes, the circle should start to shrink every five minutes, and it should continue to shrink until, you know, basically like think Fortnite or think Apex or any of these battle royales like that. It should start sinking to keep to keep games moving quickly because no one, I mean, sure, battles that last a long time and are close are fun, but sometimes you know chasing someone around for a long time gets really boring. With that being said, helms people, anyone out there who likes to helm on ships, this is your opportunity to prove to everyone that the helmsman is the most important person on the ship because. They are literally trapped in a circle. And it's not the Red Sea where they can go out in the Red Sea and repair and come back in. No, no. This is literally, if they run too far out, they blow up. Helms people. My people. I love helming. You can outsail them. You can outsail them. Boarders, get out in the water and trust your helmsmen to run them into you so you can get on board kill them, ank them, heck, strategy, turn their damn, kill them all, turn their damn boat and blow them up and get them sunk and move on with your life. I know a lot of PVP players expect and want every single person that they encounter in PVP to go toe to toe with them, punchy, punchy in the facey, move on, quick battles, go on. No battle in the history of ever has been quick, punch me in the face, and move on. Okay, aside from like boxing matches and like MMA. Some of those are quick. But if we're talking about a legit battle, if we're talking about naval battles in history, these things last a long time. And there's a lot of strategy involved. So get a good helmsman, or if you're a person who helms, find a good crew, or learn to helm and learn strategy. Turn and adjust your boat and put them in a bad position so that they have to make a mistake and you capitalize on that mistake. I get always so tired of people complaining about runners because nine times out of 10, between the point of the person starting to run and the point of you giving up, there was probably an opportunity in there that if you outsailed them, they would have made a mistake and you could have capitalized that and won. But so many people don't focus on that. So many people are not paying attention to that. They just want to get up alongside someone. They want to get aboard on someone. Make them make a mistake. Be a better salesperson, not like selling them stuff, right? Don't get on the megaphone and offer them chocolate like I sometimes do. No, outsail them. Be a better helmsman. Put them in a bad position. Get a boarder out in the water, and, and, and then you force them. Herd sheep, basically. Be a dog that herds sheep. Herd their boat towards your border so they can capitalize. <clears throat> there are so many notes, honestly, that I wrote down. This um, this update is is just super exciting, um, and we're going to talk about it more um, next next week. Um, and because I know I'm going over time right now. We're going to be talking about this next week after I get to play it. We're going to review the patch notes and we're going to deep dive into this more. But a few big callouts that I want to mention that I thought was top notch 
big brain thinking from Rare. The first one is, in this queue system, <clears throat> it is like for like. So if you are a solo slooper and you queue up, you will queue up against another solo slooper. If you are a duo sloop, duo. Brig, brig, galleon, galleon. Here's the kicker. A galleon cannot down queue to a brig. A galleon cannot face a brig. But a brig can face a galleon. And a solo slooper can run the gamut. A solo slooper can upgrade and fight duos, brigs, or galleons if they feel good enough. Which means there's a difficult level um, that you can now institute. And that if you're tired of fighting a four-man galleon and you're like, I'm kicking everyone's ass, drop down to a three and fight brigs and galleons. If that's too easy for you, drop to a duo sloop and fight brigs and galleons. If that's too difficult to you, drop down to a solo sloop and queue up and fight all of them. I think that was a brilliant move by them. I think, especially since they have a lot of solo sloop players that are excellent and fantastic people who play this game. Um, I think this is a really, really good idea for them to basically give the game a difficult level um, in the PvP side. Um, the other people, uh, the, the other um, item is the Plunder Pass. Now, you know very well that I have talked a long time about how I believe that Sea of Thieves has one of the worst battle passes out there as far as value. And I know people argue it, but it's hard to argue. And yes, for those of you who disagree with me, you can compare Sea of Thieves battle pass to Fortnite's. You can compare it to Overwatch. You can compare it to Apex. You can compare it to Halo. Anything that has a battle pass out there is an equal like-for-like like comparison. They're all just about $10, and you know how much you get out of each one, and you can constitute that to value. Sea of Thieves has always valued the free one over the paid-for, which I think is a, is a bad decision. It is good to give people who are not paying stuff, but you are a company that are supposed to be making money. You should be giving more and you should be doing more for those people who are financially contributing to your business. They have never done that until now. I don't believe this completely fixes the issue. However, it's a pretty damn good step. If you buy the plunder pass for $10, 10 US dollars gets you the plunder pass and you max it out to 100, you will not only get all the delicious rewards, all the delicious ancient coins, but at the end of the day, you will get your money back. Let me say that again. You will get your money back. Now, you may be saying, well, that's a dumb idea on Rare's, uh, on Rare's part. No, it's not. Because they're not giving you $10. They're giving you $10 worth of ancient coins for you to spend in their shop. And as a person who's worked retail for a long time, I can tell you <coughs> the percentages do not lie when it comes to store credit 
when it comes to giving gift cards. If a company gives out store credit or a gift card to you, you are most likely going to spend that plus a little bit of your money in the long run, in the, on your next purchase. So if you get $10 of ancient coins out of your $10, you get that back. So technically, in a lot of people's minds, oh, I didn't pay anything for this, right? They gave it to ancient coins. Then the next time you purchase something, you're going to be like, oh, I've got $10 worth of ancient coins. Oh, but I want that $15 cosmetic. Oh, here's five bucks. I only paid five bucks, but I got a $15 cosmetic. Rare just made $15 and they didn't give you anything, right? Now, some people will be saying, well, yeah, but they could just get you for $15 on top of 10. Correct. But if it's a difference between paying $5 for that cosmetic because fake coins were given to you or $15, you're probably going to get more people biting on the $5 one because they already got the $10 worth of coins. Trust me, trust me, retail statistics out there show this, okay? Retail statistics show you give a little in a store credit or a gift card, the people will buy more of their money plus that gift card because they can get more out of it, right? Brilliant decision by Rare. I still wish we got more cosmetics out of the Plunder Pass, but the fact that I'm paying $10 and if I max it out, I get $10 worth of ancient coins back. Great. It's great for me. Rare is going to get more of my money. They already get enough of my money. You're welcome, Joe Neat. Um, they're going to get more of my money. This was, this was the best change that they've made to like Emporium slash Plunder Pass since it came out. This is something that was needed to be done earlier. And honestly, like I said, I think this is a good move. I think this is a move they should have made a long time ago. I think the Plunder Pass in general is still less than um, value-wise as other games Plunder Passes or other games Battle Passes. Um, but in my mind, this brings them closer to being in line with the industry. Um, and I think this is a great idea. I and, and if they never make any more improvements to the Plunder Pass, I, I can't hate on the Plunder Pass anymore because I'm paying $10, I'm getting the Plunder Pass, and I'm getting $10 of Ancient Coins base, back. Like, I can't complain about that. And trust me, because I've got that, I'm going to get that $15 cosmetic. Rare's going to make more money off of me anyways. So they win. I now feel better about the Plunder Pass. I won't yell at them anymore. And just so you all know, I'm taking full credit, full credit for this Plunder Pass change. I am taking all of the credit because I've complained about it. I've given information about how they're inferior on a battle pass and everything else. So you're welcome, everyone. This was all due to me and this show. I think you should all go over to the Patreon and you should subscribe to me. Don't worry. I'll give you something if you get the right tier. I'm just saying you're all welcome. I just I just helped you out. I just got you more rewards. I think come over to the Patreon, you know, now love me, right? Love me. I got you all ever. I, I did it. It was me. We got there. We got PVP. We got PVE servers. We got PVP servers and we have a better plunder pass. You're welcome. You're welcome. Everyone. We're not even to episode 100 and I just did so much for you. I did it all. It was me. You're welcome. 
And I'll see you next week when we can actually deep dive into this content after I play it. We'll go over to the past notes. We'll go over my feedback. I really am hyped for this. I think this is going to be a great, great season. And ultimately, I'm going to say it now. This is the biggest and the best update Sea of Thieves has ever had and may ever have. This, in my opinion, though it doesn't have the story content, I didn't think it was going to be possible. This update is better than a pirate's life. Mic drop. Take care of yourselves and each other. I'll see you next time on Pirate Talk Radio.